Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? You doing good? Come on, smile for me. That looks good. Good to see you guys online. You're smiling in your, on your living room couch, aren't you? So glad you guys are here today. Whether you're in person or online, we're thrilled to be able to worship together. Let me, let me ask you a question as we get into things. How many of you ever heard of the term unrequited love? Just show of hands. You heard of that term, unrequited? I want to ask you if you've ever experienced it or not. But just to be clear, we're talking about one-sided stuff. We're talking about having offered love and it's not being returned. And it can be painful to think about. But Psychology Today actually did a survey and came back and came to the conclusion that 98% of people have experienced either one side or the other. They've offered it and not been received or it's been offered to them and they didn't feel like responding and it was painful either way. My question to you though in saying all of that is how painful would it be if you loved someone absolutely, totally, completely and sacrificed everything for them and they didn't love you back? Even more importantly, what if you were the God of the universe who could speak and have anything you want except having given his most precious part of the creation, his children, freedom of choice, and they chose not to love him back? The fact of the matter is the Bible gives us many examples of that kind of thing uh, going on. The book of Revelation lists several of them uh, in that one passage alone. In fact, in chapter 3, it talks about the church at Laodicea who had become lukewarm for God. And, and Jesus said, man, I don't even want you in my mouth. I'm going to spit you out. Hey, come on, let's be hot or cold about this thing. Let's not be lukewarm, man, be pamby about the whole deal. The church at Ephesus perhaps even worse, had lost their first love. They once were on fire for God, but somewhere along the way had lost their passion. And John said, you need to go back and do what you did before to fall in love with him all over again. So one more question and we'll get into message time. I don't want you to respond, but I do want you to think, how many of you can think of a time when you were closer to God than you are right now? I need you to understand that he hasn't changed. His love for you is absolutely unconditional and consistent. If there's a change, guess what? It's your move. It's my move. So we're in a series we're calling Third Person. We're talking about the, the role of the Holy Spirit. We're learning about the Holy Spirit. We're trying to get a handle on the, the third member of the Godhead, the co-equal member of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet that part of the Godhead that quite often is misunderstood, uh, perhaps even ignored. We're trying to get a handle on who He is, and today we're talking about Holy Spirit's role in our intimacy with God. So go with, go with me to the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles or your smartphone or, or you can go to the Bridge NC app, all the scriptures are there. They'll be on the screens as well. But we're spending a lot of time in the book of Ephesians during this series. But let's go to chapter one today, Ephesians chapter one, verse 17, where Paul prays this prayer for the church that ultimately fell deeply in love with God, but according to Revelation, lost their first love and needed to get it back. Here's what he said in verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that, read it with me, so that you may know him better. Paul is praying that they would know him more intimately than they currently knew him, and, and he was praying that the Holy Spirit would give them both wisdom and revelation. You understand what he's saying? Wisdom is not just knowledge. Wisdom is information and the understanding of how to use that information. That's what wisdom is. 
And revelation is about, uh, is about something being revealed to you. So Paul is saying, yes, I want you to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. I want you to have the information you need about him. I want you to, to understand the information that you received. But just as importantly, I want Holy Spirit to reveal himself to you. All for the purpose of knowing God better. Something you need to understand, though, as we get into this journey of talking about having an intimate relationship with God, and that simply is this, that intimacy with God always, always, all, did I say always? Intimacy with God always equals worship of God. Fact of the matter is, there is no personal relationship with the holy creator God without recognizing who he is and giving him the honor that he is due. There is no such thing as a personal relationship with the God of the universe without going, he's God and I'm not, and he's worthy of my worship. Fact is, when you genuinely come into the presence of a holy God, you immediately know there is, that's the only reasonable response. That was the prophet Isaiah's experience in Isaiah chapter 6 where we learned about his call to become a prophet of God. He found himself in the very presence of God and it wrecked him. Look at Isaiah 6, 5. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah found himself in the presence of Almighty God and it just wrecked him. It just ruined him, right? He just, man, what? I got no right to be in his presence. I'm standing here right now with this sense of awe, he said, that I have the privilege to be in the presence of God. There was no, oh, God's here. Hey, dude, how's it going? High five. Oh, too slow. Ha ha. It, no, there wasn't any of that. There was this sense of amazement. I saw a TV interview some time ago, and I racked my brain trying to remember who the person was and what administration it was, but it doesn't ultimately matter. I just remember the TV interview, He's, and he talked about the first time he was ever invited into the Oval Office of the White House in Washington, D.C., and he said he walked in, and he, he was told to sit down while he waited for the president to come in, and the president of the United States joined the room, and in that moment, he's looking around, and he's seeing all the artifacts, and he's thinking about the amazing history of this great nation, and he's thinking about the power of the man that just walked in the room and he said it was all I could do not to wet myself. Just being overwhelmed in the presence of this power and greatness. That ain't nothing compared to being in the presence of a holy creative God. So with that set up, with that background, backdrop, I want to ask and answer uh, the simple question, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our intimacy with God? What is the Holy Spirit's role in helping come into that, that you may know him better, that Paul prayed? Because that's my prayer for us, is that we would know him better, that we would come into that intimate relationship with him. How does the Holy Spirit increase our intimacy with God? Remember what I said now, there is no intimacy with God without worship of God. So I think there's three things. First of all, the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to true worship. 
He's absolutely essential. There is no true worship without the Holy Spirit being a part of that equation. And the reason I know that is a host of reasons, but one of them is a story that's fairly familiar if you've spent any time in church, and it's a story of a time when Jesus was here on earth, and he was walking around teaching people and doing all kinds of amazing things. On one particular occasion, he was making his way to the northern part of the nation, and he passed through the region called Samaria. Now, most Jews didn't pass through Samaria. They took an extra day and went all the way around it, but Jesus wasn't avoiding any circumstance or any people, so he walked right straight through Samaria. At one point, he came up on a well that was just outside of town, and a woman was there drawing water. They would go out to the well, and they would get a bucket of water and take it back into town, and as he walked up to the well, he, he asked her to give him some water to drink which freaked her out because she's quite a Samaritan. You're a Jew. You guys usually avoid us because of these age-old prejudices that are going on. So, I mean, there's a whole another sermon out of just that one line right there. We'll get to one of these days. But, but as the story unfolds, we find out that Jesus doesn't want to get something from this lady as much as he wanted to give something to her. And what he offers her is this stream of living water that would finally quench her thirst forever. And she said, man, I want some of that. To which he said, okay, go into town, get your husband, bring him out here and let's talk. Well, um, I'm not married, she said. He said, I know you've had five husbands and the guy you're with now is not your husband. So put yourself in her shoes. She's gone from what is obviously a painful experience to have been through the number of relationships alone that she's gone through. No doubt in her society, she's ostracized, not to mention being looked down upon by the Jews in this prejudicial kind of thing. So, so she's got a lot of pain. And now she's standing before this guy that's offering her uh, e eternal streams of living water and he's revealed the story of her life. She's not just in pain. She's ashamed. She's got to be thinking, who is this guy? And how does he know this stuff about me? Does he really have something to quench my thirst? Can I pause for just a minute before we get back to the story? And let's just acknowledge that this isn't just her story. It's our story. That everyone, I mean, you know, as well as I do, that she didn't set out the plan for her life to end up where it was. She didn't start out saying, let me see how many husbands can I get rid of? I don't know if she divorced or, or buried them. I, I don't know what happened, but she didn't start out that way. She wanted family. She wanted home. She wanted the same stuff that, that any of us do, but she apparently made choices along the way, and they may have seemed small at the time, but they set direction for her life, and the result was that here she is in a place she never thought she'd be, having tried very hard to fill a void in her heart, and now she's standing in front of a man who is clearly from God. She called him a prophet, and he's offering to fill her void, recognizing that there was something that was empty or she wouldn't have been down the road that she's been on. And in that moment, she brings up worship. She talks about worship. Somehow she knows that that hole in her soul is a God-shaped void that she's never been able to fill. And so she brings up worship. 
And here's how Jesus responds in John 4, 23. The hour has come and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. As if to say, you want this living water? Let me tell you that the answer is to become a true worshiper, which is who God is looking for. You see, the hole in your soul is a God-shaped void, and the only thing that fits it is God himself. And so if you want to fill that void, if you want to fill that thing that you've been thirsting for, longing for, in her case, she's been trying to fill it with men, apparently. In our case, maybe we've tried to fill it with other stuff. Maybe it's accumulation of things. Maybe it's if I'm liked enough, popular enough, I mean, there's all kinds of ways we try to fill these voids, but none of them fit because it's a God-shaped void. Jesus said, if you want to fill this void, then you got to become a true worshiper, the kind that worships in spirit and in truth. You see, the Samaritan woman made it clear she had a form of worship, and it was the form of worship that she'd been taught all her life, and she was following the form that she'd been told, but still there was that hole in her soul that she'd been trying to fill with men, and Jesus is saying true worship releases the thirst-quenching water that will fill the void. So let's talk just a minute about this thing called true worship. Again, it's not just her story, it's our story. So what does spirit and truth worship even mean? I think in both cases, whether we're talking about spirit or truth, there is both a human element and a divine element. So if you talk about worship in spirit, we're talking literally about our spirits connecting with His Spirit. Worship is not just something that you do. It, it, it has to do with who you are. It is a connecting between your spirit and His. And, you know, we tend to think of, of singing as worship, but it is so much more than singing. That, that spiritual connection can happen. It can happen while you're singing. Uh, it happened for some of you here this morning or maybe online this morning it happened for you but it can also happen when you see a double rainbow after a storm and you recognize who put it there it, it can happen when you're serving somebody who's hurting and in that moment you realize I'm being the hands and feet of Jesus in this moment and somebody just discovered that God loves them because of this act of kindness that I just did that can be a moment when your spirit connects with the spirit of God it might happen when you're alone in the dark praying and somehow you recognize that your heart has touched the heart of God. True worship is a spiritual activity. Truth comes in in a couple of ways as well, both human and divine. His truth and our truth. Of course, His truth is the Bible, the Word of God. The Bible is the final authority in everything we believe in every way we behave. And so the boundaries that we set are always set by Scripture themselves. And so when our actions line up with biblical truth and our spirits connect with His, we've just engaged in true worship. So what does it mean to be true? Well, for us, it means being sincere. It means being authentic. And so, you know, sometimes you come to church and you look around and people are singing and they're clapping and they're smiling and you think, man, all these people have got their act together and I'm struggling right now. Well, guess what? Your honest struggle can be an act of worship. It's truth. If you're grieving right now, your worship might be, God, I'm hurting right now and I don't know what to do with this pain. If you're angry right now, it might be, God, I'm mad about this and I don't know, I'm just offering it to you because I need your help. Those can be acts 
of worship. It's sincerity. If you're celebrating, yeah, it might be, yeah. Which is why I love Garrett Gustafson's <coughs> definition of true worship. Those of you who don't know that name, Garrett Gustafson was one of the founders of Integrity Music. Some of you have been around long enough to remember Integrity. They were one of the, the original uh, companies that, that launched contemporary Christian music and, and, and went worldwide. He was one of the founders and had the privilege to meet him and get to know him a few years ago. Garrett says, worship is the acts and attitudes of wholeheartedly giving yourself to God. You see, it's not just... Um, singing. It's about connecting with him in spirit and in truth. But it's important that we understand what that looks like and what that feels like. So, Garrett actually talks about in his book some of the biblical acts of worship, and then he talks about some of the biblical attitudes of worship. I don't have time to, to teach all the way through those things, but I'll list them for you. You go to the Bridge NC app, you can pull that list. I encourage you to, uh, to pull those scriptures, look them up, spend some time with them yourself, and, and just ask yourself, is that, is that an expression of worship that would be meaningful to me? Let me just run through the list right quick, Okay. Hebrews chapter 13 lists both praise as an act of worship and an act of kindness as an act of worship. Revelation 5.8 says that prayer can be an act of worship. Philippians 4.18 tells us that giving is an act of worship. Second Samuel chapter 6, uh, we saw David just a few weeks ago. We read that passage, and for him, the only appropriate act of worship was to dance before the Lord. Made his wife mad, but he did it. Philippians 4.10, bowing down can be an act of worship. Psalm 63, lifting your hands. You know, it's for some people, that's a I surrender. You're in charge, I'm not. For others, it's people, Lord, I need a hug. Whatever that expression means to you, according to Scripture, it's a valid act of worship. Psalm 47, clapping can be an act of worship. We're not just, you know, saying, hey, that was a really good song. You guys on stage did a great job, like you would if you went to a theater somewhere. We're raising a hand clap of praise to our God, according to Scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 15, obedience is an act of worship. In fact, I dare say that obedience may be the highest form of worship. My Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Psalm 69, singing is an act of worship. Second, First Chronicles 16, playing musical instruments can be an act of worship. I love watching our musicians play, and, and sometimes you get the feeling they're not even playing. They're just kind of lost in it and engaging God in worship. Their fingers know what to do, and, and they're just doing it and doing it really, really well. But those are, those are acts of worship. Now, hear me. The, all of those acts aren't necessarily within your comfort zone, but your comfort zone isn't the boundary setter the Word of God is, right? More importantly, though, are the attitudes of worship. The attitudes of worship. John 4 that we just read talks about authenticity, this being in spirit and in truth. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about reverence. We're pretty casual around here. We, we dress casually. We're kind of laid back, but that doesn't mean we're lazy. doesn't mean we're lax. We don't take ourselves very seriously, but we take what we do very, very seriously. Reverence in the presence of God is an attitude of worship. 
Psalm 51, David cries out and, and says, oh God, I feel distant from you and I don't want to be. So, so create in me a pure heart, this attitude. Lord, give me a fresh start. Forgive me for my sin is, is an attitude of worship. John 17, yeah, this, Jesus prayed for it, that we be in unity with the Father and with one another. This effort to be walk in unity with each other is an attitude of worship. Philippians 4. Whatsoever is noble, whatsoever is just, whatsoever is virtuous, those are attitudes of worship. Now, we're not all going to do all the acts of worship. It really depends on your personality. Uh, if you're watching uh, a game on TV sometime and, and the camera scans the audience and you see the big old fat guy, you know, with his shirt off and he's, he's painted in the team colors and, and he's up there, you know, making all kinds of faces and yelling and screaming and you look at that guy and you say, you know, he's probably a banker during the week, but on Sunday afternoon he becomes a madman. If you look at that guy and say, I understand what he's doing, if maybe you are that guy, <laughs> I'll ask you, just don't wear a bridge hat when you do it, okay? Just don't do it. Well, if that's who you are, then you might worship in some of the more expressive acts of worship. If you're more of a home team scores and you go, yes, okay, then your style of worship might be a little quieter. You understand God doesn't care about that? Because you can have all of the forms, you can do all of the acts of worship, but if you don't have the attitudes of worship, it doesn't count because we worship in spirit and in truth. If we don't get the attitudes right, the acts are just form. So, the only real question is, are you a true worshiper? That's the only question. I mean, I can't tell from what I see outwardly, but I can tell you that if you're a true worshiper, the Holy Spirit is essential because God is looking for worshipers who worship both in spirit and in truth. The second dynamic of the Holy Spirit uh, in helping us to become intimate with God does relate to singing. And we often think of singing and worship synonymously. They're not synonymous, but they do go together quite often. And so I just simply put it this way. The Holy Spirit gives us songs to aid in our worship. I don't know if you've been there or not, but, but I've been there many, many times, whether it's in a church setting or, or listening to Pandora on my phone. Uh, but I'll be singing a song and a songwriter will have put a series of words together. You ever had, you had this experience? And you sing the words and somehow you know that that songwriter captured what you were thinking in your heart and it helped you to come into the presence of God, that spiritual connection. And so songs can be a huge aid in helping us to worship God, to give him the honor that he is due. But, you know, actually more than that, Paul said, when he was talking to the church at Ephesus, he said one of the first things you can expect to happen when you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you is he'll put a song in your heart. Look at it, Ephesians 5.18. We looked at it last week, but let's add 19 to it this time. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. You see what he's saying? He's saying, when you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you up, one of the first things that's going to happen, we'll unpack in more detail the rest of them next week. But for now, one of the first things that's going to happen is go put a song in your heart. And I got some good news for some of you. He doesn't care if you can carry a tune or not. He couldn't care less. I mean, we do. We're not going to give you a microphone. But, you know, 
It's kind of like when a child brings a dandelion to her mama. Mama don't care if that was a beautiful rose or a dandelion. My baby just brought me a flower. That's all mama cares about, and that's all God cares about is that he's put a song in your heart and you're singing it to him. But he actually gives us three styles of singing. I don't know if you've ever studied this before, but I encourage you to do so. Um, he gives us three styles of singing that I think are critical. One is psalms, another is hymns, another is spiritual songs. Let's, let's unpack those for a minute. Let's, let's look at hymns first because they're the, the best known perhaps in our days. Hymns, of course, are songs that are written with a kind of a strict structure. They tend to have verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. They tend to be so structured, <laughs> in fact, that they, they could actually be a standalone poem. If they didn't have any music, they could be a poem. And, and many of them are read as poems. They often tell a story. They have a, a theological base for it or a doctrinal position that they're conveying. And so, so hymns tend to be structured and have this kind of flow. We, we sing a lot of hymns around here. People say, well, you know, those contemporary churches don't sing hymns. Well, yeah, we do. We sing them all the time. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore, for endless days we will sing your praise, O Lord, O Lord our God. You've been here, you know that song. Well, it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus. The next verse, anybody know where the next verse goes? The next verse is on that third day at break of dawn, and it talks about the fact that Jesus rose from the grave, and then we go back to the chorus, and then the third verse is on that day that he returns. It's telling a story. It's building a theological doctrinal position. That's a hymn. It may not have been written 100 years ago, but it's as much a hymn as any hymn you'll find in a book somewhere. So we sing hymns to the Lord. And then, of course, he talks about psalms, and psalms are, are typically the kind of choruses that we do. They don't have that verse-chorus, verse-chorus kind of structure. Typically, they're more melodic, and typically, they're more uh, kind of devotional than they are theological. And we sing a lot of those kinds of choruses here. There's nothing worth more that will ever compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. See, we're just, we're lifting a song to the Lord. Those are beautiful times of devotion and where you sense the presence of God. And they have a specific role in our singing as an act of worship. And then there's the third category called spiritual songs. And there, there's a sense in which whether you're singing a hymn or, or a chorus, <coughs> if you're addressing it to God or it's part of your act of worship, then they're all spiritual songs. But what Paul is talking about here, I think, is this kind of third category where, where there's a song that's inspired by the Holy Spirit that's far more spontaneous in nature. It, it, it's not verse chorus and it, it doesn't build on anything. It's just your heartfelt expression coming out in words that come up. Pastor Ricky, I didn't know what he was going to do, and he didn't know what I was going to talk about, I suppose. But somehow, Pastor Ricky did a little bit of that this morning when he just simply said, I want you to think about something you're worried about, and I want you to say it out loud. That's, that's what we're talking about. It's, is there some, it's in here. It just needs to be spoken. The Bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue, and when you speak it, there's power in that. 
one of the most memorable <coughs> worship experiences of my life was an occasion. <clears throat> allergies, I promise, allergies. <laughs> an occasion when I had the chance to go to Singapore with a team, and uh, there was a worship team and teaching team, and we went to teach some pastors uh, there and, and had a conference together. On the day before the conference, the, the local organizer said, you know what, before the conference, I'd like for us to pray, but, uh, but what I'd really like for us to do is there is a place at the highest point of Singapore, which is a, an island city nation, there's a place, the highest point in the city, where there's a gazebo there, and you can go up and you can see the entire nation at one time. And I'd like for us to go up there to the highest place in the city and pray over the city. And so, you know, I'm excited about the idea to begin with. And so we all get in the van and we make our way up to the top of the mountain and we get in the gazebo and we spend some time praying together. You know, for quite a while we spend some time praying together. And eventually one of them just kind of goes, his, her prayer becomes kind of melodic and she just starts singing, I love you, Lord. Somebody else sang glory to God. And before you know it, we're all just kind of singing whatever came to mind. And that went on for 15 or 20 minutes of hair standing up on the back of our necks. It's one of the most memorable worship experiences. Nobody recorded it to write it down later to, to turn it into a song to become top 10. It was just simply the heartful expression of our lives before God. So when you think of singing as worship, it might be hymns, and they might have been written a long time ago, or they might have been written last month. It might be choruses. The Psalms are many of the choruses, and a lot of the choruses we sing are straight out of Scripture. Or it might be something that's been written that's more devotional, or it might actually be a spiritual song where you're just expressing to God what's going on in your heart. Which, which type is more spiritual? Here's what Paul said to the church at Corinth, chapter 14, verse 15, I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Paul said, I'm going to do both. Well, I'm just going to do both. Hear me, the Holy Spirit is essential to true worship. He also gives us songs to aid in our worship. But the third part, and I'll bring this home, is just as critical as the first two in helping us to come into an intimate relationship with God, and that is the Holy Spirit points out any barriers we might have to true worship. I think I mentioned that there is no intimacy with God without worship of God. Go back to Isaiah in your mind, his first experience, his first reaction to coming into the presence of God was to go, whoa, is me. I mean, he was wrecked. He went, oh, whoa, ah. He didn't go, hey, dude, how's it going, man? Good to see you. It was like, oh, man, I'm in the presence of God. In his case, the solution was that an angel came with a hot coal and touched it to his lips. I think we'd all freak out if we started to sing one Sunday and an angel showed up with hot coals and started moving around the crowd. We'd all kind of freak out and run away. Uh, but we don't need an angel and hot coals now because we have Holy Spirit. Jesus said, here's what's going to happen. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 7 through 9. It's best for you, he said, that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin. Part of the Holy Spirit's job, I want you to get this, part of the Holy Spirit's job is to help you identify anything in your life that's blocking you from being in an intimate relationship with the Holy God. 
I, here's what happens to me sometimes. I don't know if it ever happens to you or not, but, but here's what happens to me sometimes. I will come into a worship setting and I'll begin to sing or maybe a prayerful setting and I'll begin to pray. And, and, and as I start to say, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to be in relationship with you. Or I sing the songs that have been written for me and I recognize those words are meaningful. The, the stuff will start popping in my head. Stuff like, you know, you were really impatient with the staff this week. Oh, man, I guess I was. Man, you, you, you should have been more kind to that person you met in the store. Man, you should have, you should have treated Kim more unselfishly you, than you did. Those kind of things. That ever happened to you sitting real still? But it's just like, you know, you really didn't do that the way you should have done that. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit trying to help you to remove any barriers from being in this intimacy with God. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We know John 3.16, but John 3.17 says, for he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, but we can sometimes do things or fail to do things that become barriers to our relationships. You understand that in human terms. I know you do. We all do it. We get into a, a marital situation or a family situation or a friend situation, and, and maybe we did something we shouldn't have done or said something we shouldn't have said, and the next time we see that person, it's a little bit awkward because we know there's something in there. It's kind of like, ooh. And if we're, we're going to have the kind of friendship we want, we're probably going to have to deal with that thing. I, I may have to apologize for what I said or we may have to talk through that and fix that. Sad reality is we all know families, maybe, maybe you're there now, I don't know, but you walk into the home and you know that there's stuff, you don't know what it is, but there's something going on and everybody's just kind of tiptoeing around. Psychologists call it the elephant in the room. I call it the pile of doggy poop in the room because it stinks. <laughs> But when you come to those moments and the Holy Spirit says, here's something you really need to deal with if you want an intimate relationship with God, then, then understand you have a choice in that moment. You can say, you know what, uh, but, uh, you know, I, 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 under my circumstances, that was okay. You know, you can rationalize it away. You can tell yourself rational lies about it all day. Or you can say, thank you, Holy Spirit. I understand part of your role and helping me to get into an intimate relationship with God is to show me anything that's keeping me from that intimacy. And when you show it to me, my response is going to be, oh, I'm sorry. Man, I, I blew that one. People of integrity mess up. They just own up. So, Lord, forgive me. And the Bible's clear. He says, you confess, I'll forgive. It's clear. He's ready. He's waiting. The end of the day, the goal is for us to come into that intimate relationship with Him. And that's what Miss Lydia has been painting for us all throughout the day. You got this wall, this barrier between us and God. He is God. He is holy. He is all-powerful. And we're just human beings in all of our finiteness. We all recognize there's a God-shaped void in our lives, and we need almost desperately to connect with Him. Otherwise, we keep trying to fill that void with stuff that doesn't fit, and then Holy Spirit comes, and He breaks a hole in that wall, and the Spirit of God begins to shine through. 
before you know it, our spirits connect with His. In a true biblical kind of sense, nothing weird or crazy, spooky kind of stuff, just connecting with the God of the universe. We recognize the springs of living water begin to flow to fill the void in our hearts. My question to you, I asked it last week, I'll ask it again throughout this series, how hungry are you to know Him at that level? Not just to go through the form of, yeah, I went to church, I checked the box, yeah, I, I, I sang some songs, I heard a sermon, yeah, Jim's a cool guy, yeah, I just gave something in the offering, yeah, I'm good. Versus, God, I want to know you. I, just, I want to know you. I need to know you. Hungry to be in intimate relationship with Him. Recognizing that there is no intimacy with the God of the universe without worship of the God of the universe. Holy Spirit, would you show me how to be a true worshiper? Would you give me a song? Whether it's written by somebody else or not is irrelevant to me. Whether it was written 100 years ago or 100 minutes ago is irrelevant to me. Would you give me a song? If it comes spontaneously out of my soul, would you give me a song? It would help me to convey my heart to the Lord. And if there's anything in my life that blocks me from that intimacy, Holy Spirit, would you show it to me? Sin of omission, I failed to do something I should have done. Sin of commission, I did it and I shouldn't have. Whatever, Lord. Spirit, would you show me? And my response will be, I don't want that in my life. Forgive me, Lord. The result will be the intimacy that you seek. Would you pray that prayer with me now? Bow your heads with me wherever you are. I know some of you are watching all over the country, all over the world. Sitting here in this room, wherever you are, just bow your heads with me for a moment. I'm not going to embarrass you or single you out. But I do want you to pray with me, silently or aloud. Lord, I don't want anything between us. I don't want any barriers that block intimacy with you. I don't want to go through the form of worship. I want to be a true worshiper with a song in my heart where, Holy Spirit, you reveal anything that's keeping me from that intimacy. I confess it, get it under the blood of Jesus Christ. Help me to know you more. Father, you know who's praying, you know what is going on in their lives, their families, their relationship with you. And I pray that no matter where they were in their spiritual journey before this service today, they've just taken a giant step in your direction. And in so doing, you've already begun to fill the void that is in their lives. Thank you for being that kind of God, that gracious, loving God who wants that relationship with us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
thank you all so much for being in the house of the Lord, being with us in our service today online. I trust and pray that, uh, that this growing hunger will be satisfied. We continue our series next week by talking about the character traits that you can expect. We're going to unpack Ephesians 5 and 6 next week. Read it. Spend some time with it this week as we kind of unpack that next Sunday. Then the week after that, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts and what does the Bible actually say about spiritual gifts. And we'll wind up this series at the end of the month talking about how do you be filled with the Spirit? How do you respond to that call to be filled with the Spirit, looking for God to do some amazing things in our hearts as we continue worshiping together? Father, take us from this place. Thank you for the privilege of being in your presence. Now, send us out to be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen.